Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Welcome to church this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. My name, uh, you heard uh, Tammy say I'm Kim. So my husband Dave and I, we get the privilege of actually giving oversight to uh, a couple, to several locations. We have a location in Revelstoke, which is where this all started uh, 30 some years ago. And then we have our newest location, which is in Vernon. And we have Kelowna, which has been just a joy to be part of. We actually have a a home here in Kelowna as well as we have one in Revelstoke. And Pastor Dave is speaking in Vernon this morning. And we also have online, which we are so thrilled for our faithful uh, people who participate online. I know that a lot of times when you guys are away, uh, people will log in online as well. And uh, so we tend to have, you know, just as many people that throughout the week will actually watch the message online as well as uh, what we have in total in our location. So I was just thinking next week starts a new, uh, apparently we can't get too far because of the online services. So uh, we next week we start a new series, which I forgot to find out what that is, but I know we start a new series next week. So I get to close off the month of September Can you believe it's going to be October already next week? I mean, I love summer. I'm really sad when it it is not officially summer anymore, which I think happened over this weekend. Uh, Because, you know, I I don't know. I just love all the things summer. I know it's pretty in fall, but summer is kind of my favorite. And so in the month of September, Pastor Dave and I both, both, well, just, we celebrated 42 years of marriage. Wow. I was just talking to a girlfriend this morning saying, Like, I remember when his parents had been married 40 years, and they were super old. And I can't think that I'm that, like, well, oh, and in case you're watching, Mom and Dad, you weren't really that old. So, and as well, uh, this past year, we've both turned 61. So I was thinking, that must make us wise now. Like, there must be, like, a point in time where that wisdom button, it gets activated, and wisdom turns on. You know, it must, maybe it's a certain age or maybe it's about a certain amount of experience that you have in life. Or, you know, you get to a point in your career where you get some sort of recognition that you're really successful and that's what makes you wise. You know, the Bible actually talks about wisdom a lot. It talks about it a lot. 222 times in the Hebrew Bible, it talks about wisdom. And 227 in the King James, it talks about. And 40% of those scriptures are actually found in four books of the Bible. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Job. Uh, Sorry. Uh, Not my favorite book. But, uh, and the book, and the, the book of Proverbs actually has 31 chapters in it. So if you're ever thinking, I don't know where to start in the Bible. If you just think it's the 9th of October, go to the 9th chapter of Proverbs. There's for almost every day of the month, because there's 31 of on most months, you can find a proverb. So just go to that one and read them over and over. Somebody who, a uh, gentleman, an older gentleman that used to be in our church in Revelstoke said, I always follow, you know, Proverbs 1 and the first of the month. And so he said that's what he did. And he was just this wonderful, gentle, wise man. And so I've sort of always uh, had that kind of as, you know, in my back pocket that I, and if you are a gentleman, I would encourage you, especially read chapters five, six, and seven, because it has a lot of wisdom for the men in our lives. So 
the Israelites regarded wisdom as one of the highest virtues along with kindness. And throughout the Psalms and the Proverbs, they urge us that we should get wisdom. So I'm wondering, like, how, how do you get wisdom? You know, like, a, you know, is it an illusion? Does it kind of hide from us? Or is it disguised? Does it masquerade as something else? And by some people actually consider wisdom to be divine reasoning, reasoning beyond our own thinking. But wisdom is, it is actually a heavenly commodity. It can be gotten and it can be increased. So if it can be gotten, it must be able to be uh, absent and maybe it has the possibility of being diminished. So just because you once had it doesn't mean that you always get to, if you don't keep building on it. You know, it seems to be when you read scriptures that you get to choose wisdom over foolishness. And society would tell us that the characteristic of wisdom comes to people who are advanced in age. You know, the older you get, the wiser you get. You know, because you've had so many life experiences. And foolishness is, you know, bound up in the heart of a child, that it's, you know, the nature and the character of a teen or a child. But that's not what Ecclesiastes 4.13 says. It says, it's better to be a poor, wise youth than an old, foolish king who, that refuses advice. So obviously you can be a wise youth, and obviously you can be an old king. But I'm sure each of us have met somebody who's older and more mature, and yet they're rather foolish. And I think all of us have met somebody who's young, and they have wisdom beyond their years. In fact, when I first met Pastor Dave, he was 18 years old, and one of the things that I heard about him, uh, people would say about him, was that he was wise beyond his years. 18 years. So wisdom doesn't only come from experience. It actually comes from reflecting on experience and not just your own experiences, but the benefit of other people's experiences and reflecting on those. A man who's been divorced and remarried four times is not the person that you go and get marriage counsel from. You get marriage counsel from the man who's been married for 40 years to the same person because that person has had to learn how to live through conflict, how to resolve conflict, how to live in peace. And it's not just in marriage, but it's in all relationships because you're going to come into some sort of conflict through relationships, right? In the church even, you know, in, in the workplace, you have to learn how to be planted in relationships and remain in relationships. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Proverbs 4, 7 says, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do, and whatever you do, develop good judgment. Do you know, wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. Knowledge constructs the Titanic, but wisdom avoids the icebergs. You know? I can attest to the fact that just because you have a boat license doesn't mean that you know how to steer the boat. I have a boat license, but I would... Um, <clears throat> My steering needs a little bit of improvement, but that, um, that story is for another sermon illustration another time. So we haven't really discovered how much the cost is going to be on the repairs of that particular thing yet. So when I know, I'll, then I'll tell you the story behind that. Knowledge will build a house, but wisdom will build a home. You know, you might have a house, you might even have a child, but that doesn't mean that you know how to put it all together and build a home. You know. The house and the baby, yeah, yeah, that. And uh, in fact, the divorce rate in this country would probably be an attest to that, wouldn't it? Uh, knowledge understands God, because there's a whole bunch of knowledge right, you know, right around us, but wisdom actually walks with God. Knowledge is horizontal, wisdom is vertical.
Billy Graham actually has a quote that says, wisdom comes from above. But culture, it, it has us leaning on our own understanding, even sometimes boldly correcting God, arrogantly saying, you know, I know the Bible says that, but I don't think it really means that. You know, we think we know better. We think we know better than what even the Bible has written. You know, that attitude and that belief system is not going to go very well for you. Proverbs 26, 12 says, There is more hope for a fool than a man who thinks he's wise in his own eyes. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to counsel. Do you know, Proverbs talks about four different kinds of people. The first kind of person that Proverbs talks about is the simple. Well, the simple, they are not wise because they've never been told. They, they don't really know any better. So they're kind of naive. They're a bit on the gullible side. I think we missed the heading that is in the back that's supposed to say simple. I know it's kind of confusing with all the stuff that I gave the media team who's doing a wonderful job and looking for simple on a different screen. Okay, just putting it out there. Proverbs 7.7 7 says, I saw among the simple, I noticed a young man who had no sense. You know, recently when I was, uh, I was actually walking into the mall, I had a job to do in the mall, and I, somebody was on her phone, and I overheard her saying, uh, you know, they don't call it common sense anymore because it, there's no such thing as common sense. Sense isn't common anymore. Well, do you know, that is not what Proverbs says. Proverbs 2, 7 says, he grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. And that one says, with integrity. Uh, there is, however in all of us, just a little bit of simple, because there is something that we do not know. And some people just seem to have a larger portion of simple than others do. And uh, you know, we seem to think we know what's best, even though the world all around us will say, don't do it, don't push that button, don't respond to that email, it's a scam. You know, just because I often think that, you know, all those phone calls that I'm getting, I, do I need to do anything with this? At which my husband says, please do not reply and do not send money. And, um, you know, there are some things that I'm a little bit more simple about than other things. And uh, so Taylor Swift wrote a song called 15. And one of the lyrics in that song, because, you know, I listen to Taylor Swift all the time. Um, anyways, was that when you're 15, somebody is going to tell you that they love you and you are going to believe them. Now, it's really highly unlikely that you are going to find your true love at 15. But you are going to think that you have. You know, how many of you remember when you were 15 and how important that relationship with we all need people who will speak into our lives and remind us that we do not know everything. They help us find the truth, especially people that know us well. You know, they keep us from making some stupid choices, right? Uh, we need people who have our backs. We need to be able to trust somebody. And I want to encourage you, if, um, if you have parents that are wise, let them speak into your life. Trust them, trust your pastors, trust godly people that are in your life with the wisdom that they have. The cure for the simple is just time. They need time to learn, have experiences, and see the difference between foolishness and wisdom. So there is the simple and there is the fool that Proverbs talks about. The fool knows what they should do, but they don't do it. They understand, they read the label, they read the instructions or they choose not to read the instructions. They see the speed limit sign, but they think, you know, I think, I 
think I'm just going to take my chances. You know, their defense is, well, why wouldn't I do it? You know, I can do whatever I want. You know, well, the Bible has a lot to say about wisdom, and it's, it actually talks more about wisdom versus foolishness than it ever does about what's right and what's wrong. And in Proverbs 10.23, it says, a fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes. Do you know, Hebrews says that sin is good for a season. Well, it is if you're doing it, right? It, you know, it's usually kind of fun, right? But it will then bite you and demand that you pay the consequences of your choice, right? You know, as a parent, uh, I have four grown children, 10, 12 grandchildren. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you have children and you have an influence on those children, do not let them hang out with fools. I mean, raising kids and being a parent will push every fear button that you have, especially when they get their driver's license and some of those things. But if they hang out with fools, be afraid. Be very afraid. Because Proverbs 13.2 says, if you walk with the wise, you will become wise. For a companion of fools will suffer harm. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. You know, I was recently at a funeral of an aunt that was four years older than me. And she was a very fun aunt, and she was a very naughty aunt. And uh, as I reflected on the memories of her, uh, so many of them started with, the very first time I blank did this thing, I happened to be with my aunt. You know, the very first time I smoked a cigarette, I was eight years old in the outhouse with her. You know, the very first time I had my very first drink, the very first time I went to a high school dance when I was in grade five, uh, the very first time I went skinny dipping, I was with her. The very, so that means I must have done that. The only time I went skinny dipping, let's do that. The only time I went skinny dipping, I was with her. The very first car wreck I was in, I was with her. Um, how often do you recall the foolish things that you did? Oh, well, maybe they're foolish things that you're still doing right now. I don't know. Um, and you recall that there were other fools that happened to be with you at the time. I mean, most of the stupid things that I did were in the company of my friends and not when I was alone. Unfortunately, the cure for the simple is tragedy. It's a wake-up call. It's something that has to turn us around. Now, if we will let God use that tragedy, every tragedy has a lesson of equal significance to the heartache that it creates. God will redeem our tragedies because he is a restorer. He will even use those tragedies that we can comfort other people out of the pain that we've gone through. He will redefine that tragic thing as a redemptive thing. So we have the simple, the fool, and the mocker, or the scoffer, that it says. A f and that, a, a mocker is a fool on steroids. They, they take like foolishness to a whole new level of stupidity. And not only do they do what they want to do, but they make fun of the people that do the right thing. Their criticism and intimidation is a form of controlling people. And social media is a very strategic tool of the mocker. They don't even need to know you personally to make fun of you. And I want to encourage you, do not engage in those conversations. Proverbs 9, 7 says, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever corrects the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker. They will hate you. They live for your comments. They live for debate. They are never going to say, oh, now I see it your way. You were right all along. They are never going to say that. Do not participate with them. Unfortunately, nobody can help them. The only cure for a mocker 
is God. God is the only one that can change them. So whether you're, whether it's a, the simple, the fool, the mocker, but Proverbs also talks about the wise. They might not be the smartest person you know. Maybe they don't have the most education. Maybe they don't, you know, can't quote the most scriptures to you or have lived the longest or even have anything really that's that special about them. But Proverbs 9 says, instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The wise are teachable. They're pliable. They are not defensive. Too many people value self-reliance and independence. But all of us need God and others that live godly lives to speak wisdom into our lives and keep us out of foolishness. If you correct the simple, they won't get it. If you correct the fool, they will ignore you. If you correct the mocker, they'll hate you. But if you correct the wise, they will thank you. Proverbs 1.22, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wow, God, you, you know so much more than me. Duh. Um, my life would be a total wreck without God. You know, we need to learn how to submit to God because he's bigger than us, he's better than us, and he's wiser than we could ever be. The fear of the Lord, which is what that scripture talks about, that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom, is not about being afraid of God, which is, you know, we take our own understanding of what fear is, and that would turn people off of God, right? It makes God seem like he's not approachable. It gives an incorrect view of who God is. And if we see God as harsh, our understanding of our relationship with God is going to be that God is harsh and he's, he's a God that holds a club and he's going to beat it over our head if we do something wrong. But true fear of God actually allows us to see our place in the order of creation. And it reminds us of our smallness, but of God's bigness. It enables us to put our confidence and our trust in something, the God that is is over our own resources. And we don't need to be able to manufacture uh, opinions and rights and know everything about everything all the time. God is a loving relationship, full of mercy, compassion. He is slow to anger. He isn't the God that's gonna whack you just when you step out of line a little bit. No one, no one treats me like my God. No one loves me like God. Even after being married for 42 years, no one even Dave cannot love me like God loves me. He is so kind and so good to me. Our God is amazing. He's big, he's great, he's wonderful. There is nothing, nothing, not any situation that you're in, not any pain that you have that is too hard for him. And God is doing something even if you can't see it. Even if things don't look like I want them to, my efforts to understand God are always going to fall short. Psalms 33.8 says, Let the whole earth fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. We need to choose to be amazed by what our God has done. Not criticize what we think he should be doing or what we think he should have already done. We need to see the miracle of God because the miracles are all around us. But if we don't have eyes to see them, we will not see them. 
Isaiah 40, 28 says, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. So I can't understand his understanding, right? So our God is amazing, but our God is holy. And that was even, we heard, we sang that song, is it the sound of, the sound of, holy sound this morning. Our God is holy. You know, we, we want a contemporary church because we want to make it relevant and attractive to the world around us that they might, you know, find a place where they, they can enter and, and be able to identify with. But we can never try to contemporize our relationship with God. He is the ancient of days. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, I... If you recall in the Old Testament when some people got a little too cozy with the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, he is still as holy then as he was then. He's still that holy today as he was when they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. God is not our buddy. We don't approach him and say, hey, just what's up, dude? He's not common. He's not our peer. When he walks in a room and when he shows up, we say, yes, sir. God, what, what can I do for you? We used to sing a song that said, when he walks in the room, even the bowels of hell shake. How sad that hell would revere God more than his children would. You know, he, he owes me nothing. It's never about what God can do for me. It's always about what I can do for God because he's already done it all for me. He gave a son. You know, Psalm 99.5 says, we are to exalt our God, bow low before his feet, for he is holy. Hebrews 12.28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably and with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You know, this past summer in the Okanagan, we had some devast a devastating fire season. And growing up, fire season was the time that we got to have some extras in my house. I lived in a very budgeted home because of a past financial crisis that my parents had gotten into. And lack was always communicated over abundance. So, however, fire season was the overtime season. So it was something that we sort of anticipated. My father worked for the BC Forestry for 35 years, and in summertime, he fought forest fires. But you know what? Fire was always to be revered. It's unforgiving. It's indiscriminate. It has the power to change lives to transform, and to consume. Fire reminds us of our insignificance. God can make us nothing more than a grease spot should he choose to, right? We need to raise our level of respect for our God because there is none like you. He is holy. He's amazing. He's holy. And God is right. You know, you might have a different emotion than God has for a situation, but you need to know that God is right. Don't listen to culture. Don't listen to your feelings. Back in Genesis, when Eve said, did, did God really say that? The devil said to Eve, did God really say that? Did he really say you couldn't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden? Did God really say that? Yes, yes, God did say that. The enemy has been trying to get us to question God right from the beginning. He's always trying to challenge God's word. He tells us the Bible's inconsistent, it's not relevant, it's full of impossibilities. You know, really, could a whale cut, totally swallow a man whole? You know, those lions in the den with Daniel, you know, they, they must have been drugged 
Or maybe that water that Peter was walking on, you know, it was just the shallow end of the lake. Or when he turned water into wine, maybe there was actually some juice crystals in the bottom before he, uh, you know, changed the water. You know, just because something seems unbelievable, that doesn't prove that the Bible is wrong. That doesn't prove that God is wrong. What that proves is that God is awesome and that God is right. You know, I, there's a little game I want you to respond with, so it's called the opposite game. So re, tell me what you say. When I say up, yeah. when I say hot, Cold. when I say right, Cold. yes, he left around. I was kind of confused by that one too. But uh, now just think about this one. You don't have to say it out loud. But when I say God, then I think, oh, Satan. But you know what? Satan is not the opposite of God. Jeremiah 10.6 says, The Lord, Lord, here there is none like you, for you are great and your name is powerful. The enemy is not the opposite of God. Psalm 19.7.11 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure and enduring forever. Don't question God. Don't do it. He's right. Follow his ways. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection. Gives rest to our life, contentment. We get untouched by trouble. When I understand what it means to fear God, I can live fearlessly, courageously, confident of his strength and his protection and unintimidated. You know, if you know very much about me, you will know I am not a perfectionist. You know, I know it's, you know, I, I really actually have to guard against the good enough syndrome. You know, I, I tend to value quantity over quality, speed over accuracy, because there's so many things to do. You know, it's said that, you know, leaders need to learn how to say no, because nobody expects a leader to do everything. Yeah, but everybody expects a leader to do their thing, you know? The to-do list is never-ending, whether it's a wish list, a bucket list, or my fade, fading honey to-do list that sits on my fridge for year after year. You know, we, we critique, we analyze, we compare. You know, I could always be doing more. I could always be doing it better. Others could be doing it better. And I, I seem to notice what's not being done by myself, by others. I notice what's not happening. I notice who's not there rather than who is there. When I don't have a fear of God, I lean on my own understanding and I step away from wisdom and, and into foolishness. And then I hear God say to me, do you think I'm not doing enough? Do you think I'm not doing enough in the world? Do you think I'm not doing enough in people's lives? Do you think I'm not doing enough in this church? Am, am I questioning God's timing, his efforts, his plans, his techniques? My lack of satisfaction, is that actually a lack of reverence for my God? Do I think I know better than him? Do I think I have a better way to work out things in my life and in your lives? In, last week, Pastor Dave preached on the parable of the vineyard, and he talked about the people who started uh, work at, in the middle of the day and those that started at the beginning of the day, and they happened to get the same pay. And, you know, that seems unfair to me. But verse 15 says, should you be jealous that I'm kind to others? Who am I to make demands on God? To question his motives and his methods? You know, it rains, it rains on the just and the unjust, right? Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
have I thought I was wise in my own eyes? Do I know better than the creator of the universe? I, I just felt such strong conviction as I was reading these scriptures, and I knew that God required me to repent of not acknowledging him and not fearing God, that he was who he is. He's the God of heaven and earth, directing forces of nature, the destiny of a nation, the care of his people. Sin and foolishness in this world may try and have the final say, but God is still the ruler. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Oh God, that we might revere, have reverent fear of who you are and find our stability and strength in your wisdom. You know, you might be thinking, well, I know tons of people that aren't believers, and they seem a lot wiser than some of the Christians I know. And how can wisdom be a heavenly commodity? It's something that can be increased and built on. So we need to know how to fear the Lord in order to build wisdom. So, you know, there's the, the parable about building your house on the sand, and the foolish house was built on the sand. How many of you, um, you could still build that house on the sand, but it's on the rock where we actually build it. And that rock is the fear of the Lord. How many of you went to the beach this summer? Did you happen to put anything down on the sand? You know, I don't know how many times I put things on the sand and then I go to get up and I can't find them. And I dig around the sand, I still never find them. Or I forget because I got covered up in sand or something. So it's, you don't see it when it's time to go, and so it gets left behind. And so it is with wisdom when it's not placed on a foundation. Proverbs 10, 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca. Thank you.